float the same as the top. There's a whole wing. There's a whole terminal. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, okay. That happened in Kansas City, too. Yeah. Mm. And the, um, uh, Southwest came in and scooped up a bunch of the gates for cheap. But, yeah, because Southwest is, has run, they don't rob the hub and the What is that you're drinking? Uh, it's iced coffee I made at home. <laughs> Our church coffee isn't good enough? <laughs> oh, at uh, at seven. It is the thirty. I was gonna say at seven thirty in the morning when I get here. <laughs> oh no, you fire up that coffee maker at seven thirty. It'll be ice cold. Oh, <laughs> that's what it I want. Takes, it takes about half hour. <laughs> oh, I love that. Mm. Are y'all joining us? Mimi, come on in. Hey, uh, not any. Hey, Thomas Jackson. Still? Yes, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then come on. Have a seat. Right here? Yeah, let me clean up my keys. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm good. Can I stop for you? Are you good? Today, uh, but uh, I figured we could get started and uh, kind of go on through it. So, uh, would y'all pray with me before we get started? Almighty God, thank you for another day. Thank you that you are here with us. Uh, Lord, be with us as we open up the Gospel of Mark. Shed your light and let us know. It is in and through your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are taking a break from Acts, right? We did not finish up Acts last week. We did not go from, you know, uh, 12 weeks of Acts 4 and then suddenly make it the rest of the uh, 24 chapters. Uh, but we are just talking about Gospel of Mark. So we're doing three weeks of Gospel of Mark during Advent. Um, week one is going to be this context of the Gospel of Mark. So what is Kind of the stuff behind the stuff so we have a better understanding of how mark works week two is going to be the structure of mark sort of the flow of it and the breakdown how it's going to kind of move forward narratively and then week three is going to be the themes and kind of literary function of mark what keeps showing up uh reason we're doing this is because as we are in year b liturgically we are uh, stepping out of the Gospel of Matthew, which we've been in for a whole year, and we are moving into the Gospel of Mark. And so this is kind of our 
just making sure everyone has an understanding of what is going on kind of contextually, structurally, and thematically within Gospel of Mark. Sound good? Good. Okie dokie day. So, um, I don't have printouts because it would be a lot to print out the whole Gospel of Mark uh, onto some stuff, but, sir. I am so sorry. What happened to Acts? I wasn't here last week. That's okay. We did not finish Acts. Don't worry. Um, we well, we only got to like chapter four, right? Right, yeah, we didn't just fly yeah. through uh, the rest. Um, no, we are taking, we're jumping out of Acts for three weeks to kind of talk through Mark because this is our new gospel for the year. Right? Oh, we are coming back to it. Oh, yeah, no. In a couple, with, okay. into one of my favorite ones. Uh, into, Acts five is uh, a mess. It's going to be so fun. But um, it's great. It's lovely. Um, so, when we're talking about context, if y'all remember when we were in Acts at the beginning, we talked about author, date, audience, place, genre, and purpose. So this is kind of going to be what we're looking at today, and when you're starting to look at a book and you want to understand the context of some of the stuff, there's lots of stuff written, and um, I will argue that a lot of the stuff that you need to be found within the book, there's some stuff that is not, that you can't find within the book, and it's a little more confusing. But uh, we'll kind of talk through that today. So author, date, audience, place, genre, and purpose. These are going to be the six things that we are looking at contextually to try and find some background on Mark. So starting with the authorship of the Gospel of Mark. Strictly speaking, Mark is anonymous. There is no claim to authorship within the Gospel of Mark. Uh, outside of perhaps a reference to a young man in the garden leaving his linen garment and running away naked, the author does remain, uh, yeah, in the, in the, he's, he's like a scared guy, and he's like, I'm scared, and he runs away. Um, but other than that, he remains strictly unidentified. Um, so we don't super know. Tradition does state, uh, Katamarkon is the Greek title of this book. So the original language in which it was written, Katamarkon, literally according to Mark. It was likely a later edition, had to be, because strictly there is no author known author, um, and tradition came to ascribe authorship to Mark. Um, so we can know, here's a few things that we can know simply by reading the book. Uh, we can know that he was a Greek-speaking Jewish Christian who did have a tremendous understanding of the Hebrew scriptures. So that does actually tell us a lot about this person. We know that he, uh, we know Jewish Christian uh, because he does ascribe lordship unto Jesus Christ. We understand that he's Jewish because um, in the first century, most people who were Christians were Jewish. And we'll get into that in Acts in a little bit. Uh, but for the first time, especially during the writing, when we're going to get to the date, would have been a Jewish Christian. And who knew this Hebrew scriptures very well. Um, when we get into themes, we'll talk about the Mark's use of the Old Testament and how he uses it and how that's actually different from the way Luke uses it in Acts. And how that's kind of one of the things we've talked about the multivocality of scripture, how Mark and Acts, still biblical, still canonical, different books have different purposes. Um, so, written by different people have different purposes. Uh, we can also know that the gospel writer was very clear in their own mind that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So he was a Christian. This is, this leads us into, this book is not just a historical book. This is far more an account of a Christian writing about their Lord. So that is one important thing, because when we're talking about Gospels, that's a genre unto itself. And so we'll get into that a little bit when we're talking about the genre of this book. But 
um, Gospels and Epistles and everything. We've talked about how those are all different genres and how Acts is kind of its own thing altogether. But it's far more like a Gospel than an Epistle, and this is a straight-up Gospel. Um, there's been studies done and kind of um, new scholarship on an understanding that the Gospels are far more portraits of Jesus Christ and how portraits will um, play up certain things and be drawn in different ways and be painted in different ways or come together in different ways still a picture of the same person but done differently and so that's one of the things we're going to kind of talk about when we get to themes early church tradition does suggest that the gospel writer was basing his writing on the preaching of saint peter peter was mentioned in the first and last uh, parts of the of the book lots of uh, peter stories first peter does actually reference uh, a guy named john mark um, who we think is actually the gospel writer we'll get to that in a second um, but one of the things to look out for in the Gospel of Mark is sort of this patrician focus. Peter does seem to be a focus within the Gospel of Mark. And so that's why we think um, that this is actually based on the preaching and the life of St. Peter. That Peter might have actually been kind of a source, a person to tell his story to John Mark as uh, he was a companion of Peter and they knew each other quite well. Um, so... Early Christian tradition also associates the gospel with John Mark, a missionary colleague of Paul and Barnabas, who later became Paul's interpreter in Rome. Uh, we'll see him a lot in Acts. Uh, he's going to come up a lot in Acts in Acts 12, Acts 13. Um, he's going to show up in the next chapter that we look at, Acts 5, because uh, he was in Jerusalem as well. Um, he's also in Philemon, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and 1 Peter, just references to his name. Um, about how he was just kind of in and around this like church leadership in the first century. So John Mark is literally, uh, is likely the best candidate for authorship, not least because of his name, which is there. It's kind of a, yeah, but that's not nothing. <laughs> uh, and uh, as a younger and less well-known early Christian, he would not, it would not naturally occur to second century sit, uh, Christians when seeking to name the book. So he wasn't somebody who was, a big name. He was not a Peter. He was not a uh, John. He was Mark. And Mark was just a dude. He was just a dude who showed up and stayed faithful. Um, so there are some places that want to call this the Gospel of Peter, really, because it is such a patrician focus. But in reality, it was Mark that wrote it. And so this is our most likely stuff. So what? Yes, Thomas. Uh, was there a... a uh... A reason to be anonymous, and were they still afraid of being who they were? Um, so, good question. Um, some of it may have been some fear. You know, if we're looking at the date that it was written, it was definitely written around some Christian persecution. Okay. Definitely written around some Jewish persecution. Um, when we're talking about date, we always have to keep in mind destruction of the temple, right? Mm -hmm. Seventy A.D. So that was a huge point of Jewish persecution. And so this guy who is a Jewish Christian writing is getting it from two fronts, right? And so there is that. Um, there's also that he just wasn't well known. And so he just wouldn't have gotten the readership that was kind of requisite for <laughs> this sort of thing. Yes? Not to take a left turn, but sure. I saw a documentary on the destruction of the temple. Yeah. They said a third of Jews in Jerusalem were killed. Mm -hmm. A full third. Yeah, I mean, that was when we're talking about the groups of Jews yeah. in the first century. Well, it was brutal. Yeah, man. It's crazy because um, we'll get into this some in Acts, um, more in the Gospels, but 
there was a group in the first century that were known as zealots, right? And zealots were the, they were uh, militaristic in some like very <laughs> clear ways. And they, uh, they were under the impression that it was um, a revolt that needed to take place, kind of a, we need to uh, displace the government, we need to be the ones in charge. And so the destruction of the temple in response to a Jewish revolt was absolutely this like, oh, you're gonna do this? Well, we'll do this. And so you have people who were zealots who were utterly destroyed, as well as people in and around those areas who were killed. So a third of Jews in Jerusalem, 100%, totally believable. In some, sure, that is a, I would not make that, I don't think I would make that comparison, uh, only because, um, hmm, it's not a bad comparison, I'll say that. It is um, how we view ISIS in America is not, I think, how we ought to view zealots, because in a lot of ways, uh, there's a... There is an understanding that ISIS are evil for evil's sake. That's not really it with the zealots or even when we see terrorism as it is. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind it, including zealotry. Um, how these were people who were under the thumb of oppression for almost their entire cultural history. <laughs> and so there was this, we're friggin' fed up. Let's be done with this. And so um, it's not, I don't think it's a bad comparison. I think it's a one that I would want to qualify a bunch before I make it. But yeah, no, I see, I absolutely see where that is. Um, what'd you say? It might be a little too simplistic. <laughs> it's, it, I think it depends on, on how, how you understand ISIS, mm -hmm. I, I think is a large part of it. Because sure. I have a lot of Muslim friends who, who don't understand ISIS the way a lot of non-Christian friends do. Sure, yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, truly, it's a, uh, and then when we see, when we when, actually when we're going to see Paul in in Acts in Acts nine, uh, he is by all intents, by all definitions, sort of a terrorist. He kills people who disagree with him. He kills people with whom he disagrees, and he wants that to happen. Paul was a zealot, and so in some ways, like sure, it's an apt comparison, <laughs> but it's also like we're going to have to do a lot of contextualizing around that. So anyway. Um, here's what we can know about John Mark, uh, the purported author. Uh, he's a member of a Cypriot Jewish family from Cyprus, that island. Uh, Jewish family settled in Jerusalem and a member of the early Jerusalem church. Then in Antioch, accompanied his cousin Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journey as far as Pamphylia. Later accompanied Barnabas to Cyprus and is finally heard of in Rome, where first Peter places him. So, all in all, um, oops. All in all, likeliest author, John Mark. And that is our kind of, that's who we're going with. How'd he die? Do we know? Hmm. Very good question. I will get in, I will make a note and ask that and answer that next week. Because that is a great question. Where's Pamphylia? Uh, Asia Minor. Okay. So modern day Turkey. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is one of the seven cities that's mentioned in the uh, Revelation of John. Um, so, dates of Mark's gospel. So we've talked about the, yes ma'am. I have a question kind of going back. Sure. So, travel was not easy, and it was expensive. Correct. Sure. Were these people quite <coughs> wealthy in themselves? Were they uh, being supported by these little 
little churches. Good question. How are they doing all this? Because that would have been really expensive and really challenging. But remember Rome, remember what Rome's best known for is their roads. Their roads. So yeah. that would have helped, I'm sure. It yeah, would have. Most of them are going by boat. <clears throat> Sure. I mean, Paul went on three missionary journeys by boat, right? Yeah. And Paul was a tent maker, so he had a way to make money. And yeah, and they had lots of... So there are... In in the Gospels, we see that Jesus' ministry, when he was walking everywhere, and he was on boats and stuff, one, he was working with fishermen, so they were still selling their stuff. Two, um, they were utterly supported by women. wealthy women. <laughs> yeah, truly. By wealthy women. And yeah. lots of them who were wives of the high priests yes. <laughs> and yes. uh and so there was like there's always been this like ah i mean even in acts uh acts 14 uh we're gonna see lydia of thyatira she is a wealthy woman who dyes clothes she owns her own business she's a very wealthy woman she bankrolls utterly bankrolls the church in philippi mm -hmm. and that is her money that's going into that continuously um and so these were guys who would either uh, work. Um, they had a trade that they would do. Paul was a tent maker, right? Um, and he would spend time. When we're reading Acts, it's easy to think like this is all happening very, very quickly. This is about a 15-year thing um, that Paul would stay somewhere for years or not go anywhere for years and just save money to be able to go places and to work his way when he got there. So um, trades, generosity, and some familial wealth, I'm sure. Like a Cypriot Jewish family who was able to come to Jerusalem. That's not nothing. Uh, I don't think it was a refugee situation. I'm sure that there was some money in Mark's family in the at that point. So, yeah. Any other what, questions? What about when when Jesus is telling them that God will provide? Yeah. So like. Uh, early disciples. That... Yeah, I think that there's a where that gets into some of what does providence look like, right? What does it look like for God to provide? Does God provide money falling out of the sky? Does God provide an anonymous angel benefactor? Does God provide a way for us to make money? Does God provide a way for things to happen and come together? I just meant like, yeah. you know, they end up showing up to wherever the boat is, and yeah. somehow it, there it is paid for, or they don't yeah. realize that they don't have the ticket. You know, I yeah, know. it might be. I, I don't know all of the times when, when and if that happens. Like, one of the horrible things that we don't get with the gospel is like an invoice. We don't get to see how they paid for everything. We don't get to see all of the stuff that like, I mean, Judas was the money manager, right? He kept the coin purse. And so there was money that was kind of coming in and going out. They had to pay for the upper room somehow. They had to pay for the places that they were staying. If they weren't just sleeping on the ground somewhere, they had to pay for all of these things that was that they were kind of doing and going through. So, but culturally yeah. speaking also, it was a lot more common to forage as you travel. Oh, it sure. Was, it was entirely possible to travel from Jerusalem to, to Rome, and if you're on land, you can find things to eat. Sure. Yeah, or yeah. even yeah, daily. In that desert, there's not much to eat. <laughs> in that Judean wilderness, not a ton. Um, but in even like in our, um, even in our um, like parables and stuff, Lots of them are about day laborers, right? Yeah. And migrant workers in a way. And so like this kind of passing through, being like, all right, I'll work for three days, make some money, move on. I'll work for a few days, make some money, move on. There was that that happened all the time too. So, anything else? 
This is fun. I love this. <laughs> uh, so, the date of Mark's Gospel. Assuming that Matthew and Luke drew from Mark's Gospel, which we do assume, um, because uh, I... Can I do this? Uh, oh, perfect. So, one of the things that we see in the New Testament... I'm going to do this for just a second. We see Matthew, Luke, Mark, and then John. He's on his own. But um, we, Mark has, there are pieces of Mark that we see in Matthew and Luke. There are pieces of Matthew that we see in Luke. There are pieces of Luke that we see in Matthew. But there's not a whole lot that we see from Luke to Mark or Matthew to Mark. So this is one of the reasons we assume that Mark is the first written gospel. Mm -hmm. So this is, Mark has stuff that is seen everywhere else, but not a lot of stuff from that is only Matthew is seen in Mark. So there's special Matthean stuff, there's special Luke and stuff, and then we can get into this at some point, but there's also what's known as Q, which is a theoretical document or source. It's called Q source. Q means quell, which in German just means source. And so there are, there's stuff that we see in Matthew and Luke that we don't see in Mark. So maybe there was a fourth thing, but we don't know. Yes. Is Mark the only gospel that was written? Like you said, there's a lot of Peter, and that's a firsthand account. It is, yeah. Is Luke and Matthew, and you know, Luke ah. being written last around 90. Yes. Is, is Mark really the best source for firsthand account more so than the others? Uh, it depends on how we're grading those, right? So if we're saying that, because Mark to us is a secondhand account, right? Because right. it's somebody saying something to somebody. Right. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, so here's other stuff. Matthew might have been written by Matthew. Right. He might have been dead at that point, and Matthew could have just been the main source. And so we could have been written by somebody else. Same. Wow. And then with Luke, with Luke Acts, Luke was probably the one who used more firsthand accounts than anyone. Um, as in a diversity of first-hand accounts. We can see that in his use of Acts. We can see that all over Acts. Mm -hmm. And we can see that in some of his stuff as well. Um, but Mark is... What was, what was your question specifically? It was around the actual first... The closer you are to the source. Sure, yeah. I okay. guess it's kind of my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, honestly, there's an argument that John is actually the closest, right? Because... He was the beloved disciple. He was the one who lived the longest. He was the one who had a longer life than any of them and could have maybe, and he very likely wrote his own gospel. Mm -hmm. And so there's an argument that John is. It's just so far, it's a theological uh, meditation basically on what was happening. It's, it's more of a theological meditation than the other ones, whereas the other ones are more concerned with what happened. Yes. So Mark's like a biographer, Luke's like a reporter, John's like an autobiographer, and Matthew's like somebody writing a term paper? <laughs> I don't hate that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, like um, Mark is Mark is far more, I mean, when we even get into reading Mark, you'll see that he is far more about here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. Not a huge, not a whole lot of dwelling on its significance, not a whole lot of meaning and stuff behind it. Even with the ending of Mark, it's like, we just got to keep going. We got to get this out. We have to make sure that we have an accurate understanding to what happened. So good question. Very good question. Do you think that he was paid to um, 
Maybe. Well, I, like, I, I'm trying to remember which one I was reading, but one of them was paid by something. Oh, yeah, so Luke paid. Theophilus would, might have been. Theoph yeah. yeah, so Theophilus. So that's a that's a theory behind it, um, whether or not he was actually bankrolled by Theophilus. There's there's no there's no real reason to think he wasn't at least supported financially in some part by this uh, by Theophilus. Uh, but Mark may have been, uh, or it may have just been he was with Peter, and Peter was like, ah, I want to start remembering some of the things. I want to start like giving an account that is outside of the epistles because for a long time the epistles were the only source of anything that anyone had. And so Peter, first-hand account, was like, listen, we love Paul. Paul's doing his thing. Paul wasn't there. I was. So let's go ahead and get some stuff out there that is kind of first-hand, more first-hand account. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it was, it might have been that. I haven't seen that in any of the scholarship that Mark was kind of bankrolled in any way by that, but maybe. Yeah. Um, anything else? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Uh, there are lots that came. There, there are some epistles that come after, but Mark, our first written gospel that we have an assumption. So, um, yeah, we'll <coughs> kind of move through this. 65 to 75, that's when this was written, which was right after destruction. Right so either Mark 13, it's called the Little Apocalypse Discourse, either is talking about what's going to happen or an immediate memory in the lives of the people. Um, something that just happened with the destruction of the temple. So Mark 13, uh, in three days' time, I will utterly destroy this. That's a big part of why Jesus was killed. We'll get into that. Um, so either so we're assuming date of that, 65 to 75, um, where the other ones were 80s and 90s. And John was maybe after. Who knows? But Place of composition. Uh, most likely either Rome or Syria. Uh, Mark uses Latinisms in the text that have their root in Rome, kind of a dialect of, he uses uh, stuff here and there. Um, this is the Roman dialect. Mark has a decidedly anti-Roman posture, which is very fun to read uh, throughout, particularly given the parallel language between the Markan story of Jesus and imperial propaganda for the empire and the emperor. Uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, his claim as the son of man, which was a Caesarian title. Um, the all of this stuff where uh, putting kind of Caesar and Jesus up against each other and Jesus coming out on top. Very anti-imperial, anti-Roman propaganda or statements about the propaganda. Yes? Almost everybody who wasn't a citizen who lived in the Roman Empire and wanted to be their own thing was anti-Roman propaganda. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Like to, to live at all under... Uh, kind of a foreign occupation is an act of resistance, right? Is an act of anti-imperial <laughs> anti, uh, stuff, yeah. So the stress and focus on enduring persecution for early Christians has incredible, you can draw the line from Nero's persecution in the 60s um, and uh, what, we, what we're seeing in the gospel. So Mark, all of these things in Mark are gonna have a ton of anti-Roman focus and stress. So, um, there's lots of other reasons to, people have other ideas, we gotta fly. Um, uh, lots of other reasons that people would think, but realistically, it is, uh, if, if one accepts John Mark as the author and the link between him, Peter, and Rome, then a setting of Rome in the late 60s is the most probable option. 
If we don't accept those things, we're kind of building on it here. If we don't accept those things, it's wide open. But um, I think it is wrong uh, for all those reasons. Purpose of composition. Uh, when we're getting into themes, we're going to talk about something called the Markin secret. Um, it's one of the big things about Mark that Jesus seems to always say, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone I did this. Don't let anyone know. And people just do not listen. Uh, everyone loves it too much, and they do it anyway. So is this a later invention? Uh, did Jesus never claim messiahship? No. More likely, Mark employed that secrecy motif to underscore the mystery and power surrounding Jesus himself, with the secret being gradually disclosed as the narrative presses towards its conclusion. We'll talk more about that. It's one of the reasons he wrote. Uh, more generally, Mark's purpose was helping the church clarify its understanding of the meaning of the Christ event and discipleship to Jesus in a threatening, confused, and conflicted situation. Or, and that Mark's aim or message rightly revolve around the two broad areas of Christology and discipleship. So who is Jesus? How do we follow him? That's what Mark was, Mark was writing for Christology reasons and for discipleship reasons, trying to understand this is who Jesus was, this is what we do in response to that. Uh, and that was R.T. France. Um, Mark's gospel is an apology. So like apologia or apologetics, just a, a reason. Uh, for the crucified Messiah and a polemic against the imperial power of Rome, which we've talked about. Uh, moving forward in the gospel, thinking about the purpose as an explanation of who Jesus is, why he died, and as an indictment of the imperial power structures of the Roman world, if that kind of understanding is going to be really invaluable. So, here's who Jesus is, here's why he died, here's how we follow him in a world that is overtaken by imperial powers. Sound familiar? Um, from here, we can clearly see that the gospel was written to the early church as a discipleship outline, huge when we're getting to structure, um, as well as a historical account of the life and death of Jesus. Uh, genre of Mark, it's a gospel, it's a Hellenistic biography akin to other biographies, uh, like Socrates or Julius Caesar. Hellenistic just means Greek. Um, this is uh, Greek biography, super common in this time. This was just about Jesus. Moreover, Mark deliberately links his story to Jesus, to the overarching story of the people of Israel, in an apocalyptic fashion. I promise I'm not forcing this. We're just doing two books that are both pretty apocalyptic right now. Um, so, uh, we're going to talk about this in themes some more, but this is his Old Testament use in Mark. He's, telling, he's retelling the story of Israel through the lens of Jesus. Jesus as the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes. Jesus as Israel. Um, apocalyptic writing did many things, but one central function using a complex blend of myth and metaphor was to tell the story of Israel's <coughs> history, to bring it into the present and to point forward to the moment when the forces of this worldly evil would be routed and the this worldly liberation of Israel would finally take place. Jesus came to be the apocalyptic messenger and free Israel and all her people. Mark tells the story of Jesus as the unveiled story of Israel. So, all that to say, here are our answers. The author, John Mark. The date, late 60s, early 70s, right? Uh, audience was the early church, place, likely Rome. Uh, genre, instructive biography slash apocalypse, because Mark is an utterly apocalyptic book. We'll see that absolutely in Mark 13, the little apocalypse, but honestly all throughout. Uh, purpose was an apology for the crucified Messiah and a polemic against the Roman Empire. <sighs> Any questions?
Okay. Okay. I think that's everything. It is. Okay. So, thanks. Um, yeah. You think? Yeah. We did it. And, oh my God, that's 10.15. We did do it. Um, so that is the... That's the Gospel of Mark contextually. We're gonna, there's going to be more questions that come up, I'm sure, um, especially as we, okay, as we get into um, what's happening in church for the next year. But as far as an understanding, this is going to help answer a lot of the questions that may come up. Why does Mark say something? Anti-imperial propaganda. Why, uh, what does this have to do, like how is this kind of coming together. Uh, very likely, think about it with a patrician focus, that's gonna answer a lot of questions as well. As well as, this is to the early church as an instructed biography slash apocalypse. So, I think that's all. Any questions before I cut the video off and no one gets to hear the video? Okay, hey, we did it, folks. Woo. Uh, next week we will talk about the structure of Mark and sort of this, what uh, one scholar is gonna call a catechism of discipleship and how Mark structures his gospel in that way. And we'll look at some more, uh, we'll look at some pretty specific parts of Mark to talk about that as well. Okay, cool, thanks y'all. Thank